You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it. We're going to be a few places. Uh, kids, uh, parents, if you would like your kids to uh, have a, a different time of teaching, we encourage you to send them uh, on. Uh, we're going to be talking about marriage and sexuality this morning, and so we'll give the kids time. Uh, uh, Paul and Miss Julie are going to help uh, teach them. And as uh, you're turning, you can turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, we'll be in Ephesians 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one, uh, one of the black hardcover Bibles in front of you, and turn to page uh, 1 and 2 and follow along with us. Guests, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. Uh, we're going to continue in our series as we started through the book of Genesis. And what we uh, wanted to do was we wanted to slow down for a couple of weeks and talk about some specific cultural issues uh, that the text speaks to us about. And we want to slow down, particularly this morning, and talk about marriage. So every time, remember, every time we come to God's Word, we come to respond to it. We come to submit our lives to it. We call this preaching because the Bible has something to say. And we have come to hear from God. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, we want you to know this is a safe place for you to hear about God's Word, to see the church, and to hear about the gospel. And also a place that we want to hold on to the gospel and its truth, and that we believe that this Bible is God's word. So as we start this morning, let me ask you a question. Do you think our culture misunderstands marriage? Do you think our culture misunderstands marriage? If you turned on the news or got on social media, I would ask you another question. Do you think our culture understands Sexuality. What does it mean to be man and woman? What does it mean to be male and female? I would say no. There's lots of confusion in our society today. But let me maybe ask a more difficult question. Do you think the church understands marriage? Do you think the church understands what it means to be made in God's image and made male and female? Do we, as the church, understand why God has given marriage as a gift? If I'm honest, church, I, I look back at our history, the last 20, 30, 40 years, I think the church has failed to speak about marriage. And I think that at the end of the day, our culture has moved into a place where marriage is eroding. And this morning, what I pray for us is that we see God's biblical vision for what marriage actually is, and we give ourselves to it, and we see that it is good, not just for us, but for all of our society. And so what I want to do is I, I want to do a little bit of biblical theology. What that means, we're going to be in a few different passages to help us understand what marriage is. And Genesis 1 and 2 obviously give us a clear picture but on this side of the fall, which we'll get to in a few weeks, there's something that, that Jesus had to do. has come to die for us. And he has to redeem 
us as people are in redeemed marriage because we were sinful, we are sinful, and sin has, has turned and perverted these things. So as we walk through these passages, here's the theme that I want you to see. God has created us male and female to reflect his image and for covenant marriage to reflect the gospel. Now, if, if you're a disciple today, if you've called the name of Jesus, what, what, what are we to do? And what I want to do this morning is I want to call the church, us at large, what are we to do? In our time and place in 2023, with marriages falling apart inside and outside of the church, what are we to do? Who are we to be? May we be a church who builds or rebuilds marriages to thrive around God's design so that the gospel may be proclaimed. May we build strong marriages based on God's word for the sake of Christ's gospel. And we find ourselves at a particular place in time. We find ourselves in a particular place in time. What I mean by that is, I told you we started Genesis 1 and 2. There are competing stories. There's a competing story for who you are and what you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. Are we going to believe a story that says we're accidents or, or happenstance, that we don't have meaning or purpose? Or are we going to believe the story that God loves you and in God loving you, there's a way in which He made us? In a way in which we're to thrive and to respond and to live. And church, to be really honest, we are strangers in this land, both physically and spiritually. We're strangers. We've all grown up in a country that it feels so close. It feels so close to God's kingdom, but it's not. And we have become comfortable We've become comfortable. And this is why marriage is in the state that it's in. And let me be really honest. All of us have been touched by the perversion of sin in marriage and sexuality. Every single one of us that walked into the room today have experienced some sort of perversion. Here's what I mean. We've all experienced some sort of confusion. Whether we've, when we were growing up, whether it's now... Most of us have been hurt by the corrosion of marriage through divorce or adultery. I'm not sure there's any man in the room that's not been exposed to pornography at some point in his life. And the numbers on women is growing in our society. We've all been touched by the perversion and corrosion of marriage. So what, what does God's word say to us? How do we build healthy marriages and therefore families? Three actions that I, I want us to take as a church as we move forward to love each other and to love those that don't know Jesus and to hold the truth. So, action number one. Hold to the biblical position on sexuality. Hold to the biblical position on sexuality. Now, when we speak of sexuality, we've got to go to the Bible. And unfortunately, for me to talk about marriage in our context, I have to talk about this issue. So, let's look at Genesis 1.27. What we're going to see is we were made to reflect God in our bodies. Verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, although 
there may be other questions that come up out of this verse, it's clear that humanity is made in the image of God. And that humanity is the crown jewel, if you will think about it that way, of creation. But it's also clear that humanity is distinctly male and female. These words used here in the original language are sexed words. What I mean by that is they're biological words. They describe biological realities. Just because this was a few thousand years ago doesn't mean that they didn't understand that there was a biological difference at some level between men and women. And even there's much, not as much in these words maybe as what we mean in the 21st century, these words reflect differences in men and women. It's not just gendered language. It's not just cultural. Sex is a biological reality all the way down to our chromosomes. And gender is the way we express our biological sex. They're tied together. Now let me be clear, different societies uh, reflect uh, that truth differently. I wear pants, and it would be weird for me not to wear pants in America. But if we went to the Middle East, it would be weird for me to wear pants. So we express our gender in different ways culturally. But that, do- that doesn't change our sex or our gender. And what it means is that we were made with physical bodies to reflect God on purpose. And our sex and gender are good things. They're good God has made us this way. And within a very short time, very short time, transgenderism has moved uh, into a cultural issue. It's everywhere. It's on TV, it's on social media, it's on YouTube. And the LGBTQ plus movement will continue to progress. Why? Why would it progress? Because we've begun identifying ourselves as our sexuality, with our sexuality. It's the thing that defines us. We want something, therefore we're going to define ourselves with it. Now, understand sexual perversion has happened ever since the fall. But people didn't identify themselves in their sexuality. Parents, let me be very clear to caution you. We live in a very different time and place. Be mindful of what your children are watching. Please. We have friends, parents, whose kids they didn't know were watching YouTube videos and hearing things and being told things, and then a few years later, they, whatever direction it comes out of that. There's even stories of kids having online secret lives I don't I'm not telling you that I'm not trying to scare you but what I'm telling you is this is real this is real and you need to be aware of what they watch and talk to them about what they watch it's going to going to be about impossible to watch tv at all anymore without having to speak to our children in church let me be really honest and clear We must not be surprised when this issue comes to our own door. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, okay? That doesn't doesn't mean that, that we don't love and we are not kind. That's not what I'm saying, but it's going to come. It's just going to happen. And so are we going to be ready to speak God's word as truth and then love those children 
and love teenagers and love people who are broken and sin has perverted these things? That's the question. Parents, this has been polarized. It's been politicized. There are people who want to persuade your children. We have to understand that is true. But what you have to understand is you're called to teach them. Think about uh, when I was a kid, my mom and dad, we had a fire plan. Right? So they, they, would, uh, they told us if there's ever a fire, here's what you do. Here's how you go about it. You don't, you don't ask for us. You don't come look for us. You run this way and you get out of the house this way. Right? And so we, we would practice that. I think partly because I actually, for some reason, I had a rational fear of, of a house fire. But we, we, we would practice that. And I remember practicing it, and my mom and dad would tell me, we're doing this just in case it happens. Just in case it happens. We don't wait until the fire comes to teach our children about how to escape the house in a fire. We teach them before it comes. So parents, please, if you... If you want to talk about those things, please, we want to help you to be aware to how to talk about these things. There's great resources out there. And if you're a kid in the room, if you're a teenager in the room, I want you to look at me right now. I want you to be, look at me. God has made you wonderfully and in a beautiful way. He loves you, and he made you the way you are on purpose. He loves you. That does not mean you may not experience some confusion. It does not mean that you may not struggle. That doesn't mean any of those things. But God is sovereign and He is in control and He has made you the way that He made you. And if you ever struggle with these kinds of things, go to your parents who love you. Who love you. And let them help you work through these things. So we're made to reflect God in our bodies. But secondly, we're made to... We're also made equal but distinct. Look back down, if, if you have it, on page 2, Genesis 2, verse 18. And I, I'm going to tell you to underline or at least make a note of a couple things. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, Is it not good for the man to be alone? I will make a helper, underline, corresponding to him, underline, the Lord God formed out of the garden every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what it was his name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Underline. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs. Underline. And closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, don't you underline this whole phrase, This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Now I want to draw your attention to those things I told you to underline or to, or to dot, to star, whatever you decide to do there. So first, look at verse 21. Look at that word rib. You might say, what's, so much, so what's important about a rib? God takes Adam's rib, and he makes Eve out of the same stuff. What I mean by that is she's the same substance as Adam. She's equal to him. She's not an animal. She's not a bird. She is human. But she's clearly different from him and the animals. 
Right? Adam knows that. Right? I think about uh, uh, Space Jam when Bugs Bunny sings Lola Bunny for the first time in the movie. This is the kind of thing that when Adam sees Eve, this is the kind of thing that happens. Watch well, what he says. Bone of my bone, at last. So she's different. He knows she's for me. Now let's look at that word helper that I told you to underline. And corresponding. First, that word helper is in no way derogatory. Actually, it's used to describe God in multiple places in the Old Testament. It shows the dignity of a woman. But what the man lacks, the woman accomplishes, and she is an indispensable partner to him. They are clearly equal, but different. They are both needed. Pastor Ron and I both have said this to you now for a couple weeks. Both man and woman are needed to fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply. This is God's design. And I want you to also understand a little bit of what's going on in our society. We have a, a society that's trying to change what it means to be human, to be male and female. There's clear differences. The Bible is clear. There's differences between us. And this is happening because there's been a premium placed on feelings over facts. Both from the Bible and science, to be really honest with you. So what we've done is we've taken our feelings and those now become the source of authority. What's the problem with those feelings? They can change. They can compete. Not just between people, but between ourselves. And so we understand that that as a source of authority is going to crumble. It's, it's horrifying and sad to see some of the children who have gone through transition from male to female and now they, they, they'll never be the same ever again and they, they've regretted those decisions. We've elevated what we feel to a level of fact. Now let me be very clear. We must speak the truth. We must speak God's word clearly. Hold it out. And then we've got, we got to put our arms around people. We've got to put our arms around people. Because let me be really honest. The, the children, the teenagers that have now said, hey, this isn't me. Those doctors have left them. So what we have to do is we have to come around and we have to hug and bring these people in. Even though it may be uncomfortable, it may be awkward, we may have to have really hard conversation, but we speak the truth and we speak it in love and grace and kindness. But we hold to a biblical view of sexuality. We hold to a, the position that God's word gives to us. If we want to build healthy marriages here at Covenant Hope, this is what we must do. We must hold to a biblical position on sexuality. But number two, we must hold to God's purpose of marriage. Hold to God's purpose of marriage. And when it comes to marriage, we all have lots of thoughts, dreams, even expectations. And if you've been married for 20 minutes, you know that many of those expectations won't be met initially. It's easy for us to have misconceptions and expectations about marriage, especially if you are desiring to get married, if you're looking forward to it, if it's coming up soon. So let's look at God's design for marriage and the purpose he gives. Right, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he makes us male and female, right? We're intended to multiply, which means there's a union there. When we look at Genesis 2, 24 and 25, this is where God defines marriage. It's clear that there's a union in 
Adam and Eve, with Adam and Eve. Two people becoming one. And this is God's design for marriage, and marriage is an institution ordained by God. Marriage is the foundation for the family and family for the society. You may ask, how do I know that? Well, when we look at chapter 2, we look at verse 25, we see the narrator, Moses, he sums up what's happened with Adam and Eve. That Paul quotes in Ephesians 5, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and be unified with his wife. This is God's comment about marriage. It's the paradigm. It's what should happen. It's a lifelong, permanent union of a man and a woman to enjoy and to glorify God. And I also want you to see that marriage is a common good. It's good for our society. Marriage is not self-expression or individualistic. But in our nation, marriage has been reduced to an expressive act or for personal happiness. This is how homosexuality has grown in our society. This is why laws have been passed. But the LGBTQ movement did not start the attack on marriage. Let me say that to you again. The LGBTQ movement did not start the attack on marriage. Individualism did. What do I mean by that? Once laws and court decisions were made to reduce marriage to a personal decision or to personal happiness, the foundation of marriage began to erode. The biggest threat to marriage is expressive individualism. You do you. Follow your heart. Do what you think is best. That thinking has eroded marriage. That thinking is the biggest threat. Once you turn marriage into a self-expression or a self-expressive act, anything can go. And the erosion of marriage will harm every aspect of our society. Because God's design for marriage is good. So much so that I think what Moses does when he ties this together in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what we see is that marriage is good. It's, it's restful. It's peaceful. And it's that way for our society. And so when those things begin to erode, it's going to erode everything around us. We must understand that marriage is defined and purposed by God. So you might ask, what are the biblical, what's the biblical purpose of marriage? Well, let's define marriage as a marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life to enjoy and to glorify God. This means it's not ultimately for our pleasure, our satisfaction, or our happiness. And although we realize the purpose is God's intended, we will experience these things. Marriage is the complementary union of a man and woman. It's the, the cooperation towards God's goals and the relationship for true companionship. So what are the purposes of marriage? Number one, it's to refine our character. It's to refine our character. After the fall, mistrust, tension, selfishness entered into our marital relationships. Right, sin, what it does, it doesn't direct our love toward our spouse. It directs our love towards ourself. And we now begin to have tension because of that. But marriage isn't left broken. It isn't left useless. 
Instead, God uses it in the gospel to refine our character. So what does that refining look like? First, marriage calls the husband to costly leadership. The way the Bible describes the marital relationship, the husband is the head of the family in Ephesians 5. Men and women are equal, as we've already said, but different. Adam is the source, therefore the leader. In that difference, the husband is called by God to lead the home. But notice what kind of leadership this is. Guys, you may not want to sign up for this kind of leadership just off the cuff. Husbands are called to lay down their lives in loving service to their wives. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25 with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Most of this passage is dedicated to the husbands. It's it's mostly written to them. Why? It is our duty to lay down our lives for our wives so that they will be holy and clean before God. Of course, this means to jump in front of a bullet if your wife is going to be shot. But that's the easy part. That's the easy part. It means more. uh, One of of mine and Ashley's mentors, he said it's more in the nitty-gritty of life. That the husband is to lay down his preferences for his wife. Not domineering, but caring and nurturing and kind. Why? To present her holy so that she looks more like Jesus. Husbands, do you lead your wife to Jesus? I don't know if you know, but the word husband actually comes from this, uh, some old language, a Norse Viking language. And the word husband, in in that time, what it meant was that it was to be a farmer, to be a cultivator. Just like Adam was to be the first farmer. Just like Adam, we're called to cultivate and nourish and to farm our marriage, to make it an environment where things can grow. The soil of our marriages should be fertile for godliness and happiness ultimately to glorify God. But secondly, marriages to call women to voluntary submission to their husbands and to only their husbands. Look at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Let me be very clear, though. This is not a blind following or obedience. He doesn't use obey. He use submit but a willingness to follow the lead of her husband. Why? Because a wife's submission to her husband is her honoring the Lord. Jesus informs every aspect of how we live, including our marriages. This is also, look look, look at how Paul directs the submission. He sets the direction to Jesus and foremost to Christ. Foremost to Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Husbands, how do you use your authority? How do you use your authority in the home? Do you use it at all? Do you use it to lord over your wife and your kids? We must use our authority in the home to build our families, to help our wives and children flourish. What would your wife say? 
does your wife say that my husband, he, he lays down. It's almost like he, he lays down so that I can be built up. Husbands, are you using your authority in the way that Jesus used his authority? Wives, respect your husbands so that they may help lead you well. And husbands, lay down your life so that your children and your family will grow and prosper. But thirdly, this purpose also, God uses it to, re- he uses it to refine our character through faithful intimacy. Through faithful intimacy. Marriage is as we've said, is a lifelong union. This means that we're called to be emotionally and physically faithful to our spouse. And our society says we're not made that way, especially guys. You can't live that way. But God's Word says that this is what we're called to. Again, we've turned marriage into personal happiness, but the American dream of sexual freedom is a lie. It's a lie. I found an article... Of, uh, of a woman who's, she, she admits that she's 30 and she, her, her phrase is, the sexual resolution, revolution lied to me. It's not, it's not freedom, it's slavery. Marriage is the environment where sex thrives, but what our culture has said is, no, take, take, take all the chains off and we're better for it. An anthropologist actually found he, found, he studied all of the great civilizations in history that we know of. And within two generations, two generations, what he thought, he thought that the more freedom a society has, the better they're going to flourish. But he found the opposite. Within two generations, a society that lost the tie of sex to marriage and for the family and for procreation that civilization failed within two generations. We're not that far away from that. Men, you must protect yourselves. You must protect your eyes from scrolling, TV, anything that can lead our minds to racing. Cut, cut your phone off, take the apps off. Do whatever you got to do. Because this is where God has given to for this kind of intimacy to take place. Ladies, emotionally, are you sharing things with, with people that are not your husband or that you shouldn't be sharing? Are we, men and women struggle differently with these issues, but intimacy is built by people who pursue it. And it's not easy. Don't believe the lie that it's easy. Trust the Lord and pursue one another and love one another and communicate and talk share with one another so what God does is he refines our character in these ways but secondly another purpose for marriage is that God has called us to raise children and one of the intended outcomes of marriage is to raise children and this is what God means when he says be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1 marriage is not just for those who are married but it's also for the children that they will have and of course Adam can't do this alone as we've already seen in these two chapters. What Adam is commanded to do, Eve has to help him do. We call this the creation mandate. We'll talk more about that next week. But marriages should culminate in the raising of children who in turn worship God and spread His likeness all across the world. 
Israel is going to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy 6. And Moses tells them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He tells them to repeat them, to write them, to bear them on their wrists. And then he says, repeat them to your children. Repeat this to your children. We have a job, parents, to raise our children in the Lord and to train them and to give them. Some of you probably feel like, maybe you were saved at a young age and you feel like, you know, I don't, I don't have a, a great testimony. And you struggle with that. And maybe that influences how we teach our kids. We want our kids to struggle through these things. No. Teach your children what it means to follow Jesus. Because any person who is brought spiritually from death to life, that's an amazing story. And let our children be washed with God's word. Ephesians 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is what we're called to do, parents. Bearing and raising children is a tremendous privilege. Right? This privilege is the part of the blessing from God. It's a blessing that comes from Him. And it comes from the divine enablement to do so. For believers, childbirth and childbearing and childrearing is an act of worship. Sharing in the work of God and the one who gave life in the first place. As we continue in Genesis, I want you to notice two of the biggest, biggest struggles throughout the story. I want you to notice the two big effects that sin has on the families that we're going to study about. The two biggest examples of life under sin is infertility and adultery. That's what life under sin looks like. What God does is he, he's faithful and he's so faithful, even though Abraham is going to try to take it in his own hands, and we're going to see him fail multiple times, and we're going to see his sons fail, we're going to see their sons fail, and what we're going to come to is God was faithful to do what he said he was going to do. So much so that he brings Jesus from this family. When we read through this, it's going to be like a soap opera. That's how bad it can get. But God is so faithful to bring Jesus out of this, is that now he gets to redeem our marriages. And he gets to redeem how we raise children. He gets to redeem our lives. And I know that some of you are struggling to have kids. We are praying with you and for you. Do not give up. Pray and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you a beautiful gift. Often what we do in the 21st century, we rely on science, which we, we go to doctors. They're good and helpful. But may we not stop praying for the gift of children. May we not stop praying for God to provide this. And if the news ever comes that you won't be able to, medically speaking, there are other ways to help raise children through adoption. One of the clearest pictures of the gospel is for a family to say, I want this ch child who is not mine and bring him into my family. That's one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. But also, Jesus, what he does in Genesis chapter 28, he doesn't give us a new procreation mandate. He gives us a disciple-making mandate. And so whatever, if you're single, if you're married, if you don't have kids, whatever it may be, you can still have an impact in the kingdom because Jesus has given you his spirit now able to 
remake the world. So we should raise children. And, and finally, we should, we should reflect the gospel. Ultimately, the picture of the gospel must be proclaimed in our marriages. The theme of marriages runs through the Old Testament. I believe this is where Paul picks up the language in Ephesians 5, verse 31. He says, for this reason, he quotes Genesis 2, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Look what he says. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul founds his view of marriage in creation. It's God who gives it as a gift, and it's God who redeems it as a gift. Our marriages have the opportunity to reflect the gospel. How? Through costly leadership. Christ coming into the world to die for us. And voluntary submission that Christ would submit his life to the cross. And that now it is God through Christ and his gospel that brings forth the church. These are the biblical purposes of marriage it's the foundation for marriage. It's, it's where and how marriages can thrive. But what should the church do? We're still left with this question. What should we do as the church? Brings us to our third action. Hold to the church's part in healthy marriages. Hold to the church's part in healthy marriages. Think about this image for a second. The church is described as the bride of Christ. Paul describes it this way. And think about when God caused Adam to sleep. God does surgery, as Pastor Ryan said to us last week. He does surgery on Adam. He takes the rib out, and he closes it up. He takes it, and he, and he offers Eve to Adam. There's his wife. God does the same thing in Christ for the church. Christ on the cross is pierced in his side. Christ dies. He's asleep for three days. He's raised to newness of life, and out of that life comes the church. And so now we are a picture of the beautiful marriage that's going to happen in Revelation, that we will be God's people, and He will be our God. And so we are Jesus' bride. And so the church now gets to experience what does it look like for marriages to be healthy, what does it look like for it to be a place for everyone, married and singles, to experience family? It's the best place for marriages to thrive and to grow. It's the best opportunity for the world to see the gospel. And as a church, we must stand firm on that gospel. We must never waver, ever. It has to be at the center of everything we do, and if we lose it, we will lose actually the ability to be a church. We must protect it. But there's some practical ways that we can enjoy a church family. We can help it, families and marriages grow, help them thrive. We know that family is as only as healthy as the marriage. But we also know that the marriages that, that take place need a place to belong. Often, couples are left with, with nothing. They're on their own. They have no community, no teaching, no service. And the church must be a place where marriages receive these things. The church first must be truly a community that people do life together in. And we must want our church to be a place that we're real. Right? To feel like a family, but be a family. 
This means that we're actually inviting others into our lives, into our homes, into our relationships, and we listen to each other. We listen. We actually hear from one another about what's going on and struggles and why we are, what we're working through. Don't not jumping to conclusions. Showing grace and mercy and helping each other grow in Christ. It also means we're to be authentic and to be real with each other so that sin can be dealt with, so that we can grow together. If you've been married for a short time or maybe you feel that there, there's areas to grow, find a more mature couple. Just say, hey, we would love to have you over for dinner. That's an easy way for these relationships to form, to spend time with them. There have been some really, really important families in, in mine and Ashley's lives. Two of those families is the Dews and the Bibles. And they have shown us what does it mean to, to be married, what does it mean to raise children. We've, we've watched them. They've invited us into their homes, become dear to us in a way that we now can be grown in the gospel. And I want that for all of us, that the family of God may strengthen these marriages. We have to be willing to listen and be willing to open up and be willing to open up our homes to each other and to spend time together. The church must be a place where true community happens. But also, the church must be a place that teaches about marriage. It must do exactly what we're doing right now. We must talk about how do marriages grow. Let God's word come and encourage us and commit ourselves to its standard, not anything else. And to help our kids understand what marriage is. To show them that God is working in and through our marriages. We must teach on this. But finally, our church must be a place where marriage can come to and be poured into. We all want good, godly, healthy, and thriving marriages, don't we? I don't think anybody in the room would say, no, I don't want that. What, what would our church look like if we poured everything we had into these marriages, into your marriages? What about on Sunday mornings? When we're, when, when we're just trying to get our kids to church and we're just trying, we're just trying to get here on time. Well, what would it look like in the nursery or the kids' classes? What would it look like to volunteer? To say, hey, you know what? I'll do that. This week, uh, Hunter and Andrew, they're, they're away this morning, so I get to, get to use Hunter as an illustration. She offers, hey, I'll keep kids so the moms can get a break. That's the kind of thing that, that the church says, you know, I'm going to rally around these marriages and these moms or, or the, these families so that they can be poured into. They can grow. What would our families look like if the church family said, you know what, I'll teach that class. You know what, I'll, I'll serve in nursery. You know what, I'll make sure that these children have what they need right now so the parents can be poured into. Not saying that parents can't serve. So they have, the, they, have the, they have the opportunity to decide to serve and to be poured into and to grow and to use other gifts. Now, what if our community saw that? And they saw a church that was poured into each other in such a way that the marriages were thriving and they were healthy. What, what would the community think? They would, say, would they want this, that this is a beautiful picture of the gospel? I will serve when I get nothing in return. I will serve when I get nothing in return. 
I'll serve so that those families can thrive. Church, my prayer for us is that our marriages, our kids, our singles, and everything in between, that we become the family of God. Not just, not just in theory, but in reality. That we build marriages and we build families to grow. I want you to know this is a place for your marriage and your children to grow. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us to do this. And may the gospel reshape our views and our expectations and what we pursue in our marriages so that God can be glorified. May the gospel ring out from here because we hold to the Bible's views on sexuality, because we hold to a vision of marriage. And may the church be the place where these things take place. Pray with me. God, we ask, we ask you to, to answer this prayer. This prayer that our church would be a place where marriages and families thrive. And I pray that your word would be received and we would respond to it. I pray that we would be a people who love those who are hurt and confused, who have been exploited, to children who don't understand, to teenagers who have made terrible decisions, to marriages who are falling apart, to to spouses who have sinned against one another. Will we be a place where the gospel is experienced, both in truth and in reality? May we be a place, a church family that proclaims the gospel with our mouths, but also with our lives. May we reflect our good Savior to the world. We need you to make us into these. We need you to work in our marriages. We need you to work in our families. We pray for our children. Would you protect them? We pray for our marriages. Would you protect them from sin? Would you help us, Lord? We need you. We love you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.